Welcome to The Agile Speaker, where I'm talking to Mary Ann Johnston about the science behind the art of speaking. On episode two, we talked about delivery. That's because I wanted to jump right into the meat of the subject. You know, how to be great on stage, in the boardroom, or at that client pitch. That's the priority for most speakers. But for every great speech, for that 20 minutes in the spotlight, there are hours, if not days, of planning and preparation behind it. So let's get into that today. How do we prepare to be truly great, agile speakers? Well, often that starts with spotting the pitfalls. I wondered what Marianne thinks are the most common mistakes speakers make in getting ready for the big day. Well, I think that the classic thing that I see a lot of is people diving straight into PowerPoint and building up slides. Or they might sit down and think a little bit about their structure. They might think a little bit about their delivery as well. But actually the first port of call is to think about your audience. Who are you actually going to speak to? What are they interested in? What are their expectations of the meeting or of the presentation or pitch? If you look at everything from their end of the telescope, then it allows you to actually much more easily tailor everything that you're going to say towards them. And again, coming back to everything of being back about your relaxed conversational style, in conversation, when we talk to each other, we tend to talk around things that are of mutual interest to mm-hmm. each other. And that's how it's a two-way thing. If yeah. you start a conversation with someone and just go off track on something only you're interested in, chance are they'll switch off yeah so it's in line with that whole approach of of sticking to your conversational style so finding out as much as you can about the audience now whether that's one two three or four people where you can actually pull together quite a good amount of information on people before every single workshop that we have lynn puts together a biography of every single person i'm going to meet she puts together a photo and all the background that she can find from the web. (laughs) And it means that the moment I walk into a workshop, I already know just snippets of information about the people I'm going to meet. Now, on the other hand, you might think, well, if I'm going to go and talk to a hundred people, how am I possibly going to be able to find out information about them? But it could be the slightest thing that changed the dial on that compass. Last year, I spoke at an event organized by Informatics Ventures called Making IT, Making It Work for Women. And I was delivering two sessions on pitching. I thought at first that I'd be speaking to university uh, undergraduates, postgraduates, and probably some people from around the Edinburgh network. And a couple of days before, I emailed uh, Informatics Ventures and asked for a delegate list. And it turned out that, that the last minute they'd managed to get about 20 young girls from a local school. And that totally changed the way I talked through my session the examples that I used, the case studies I used, some of the language I used. So although I didn't have the the real detail on those people, it was more just getting a bit of background that really helped me to tailor the session. Just one little example, one little story that's personalised to that audience, that can make a huge difference. Even if you change nothing else about the presentation. You know, whether it's an anecdote about a building project that went wrong when you're speaking to a group of architects... Or it's that story of a student that achieved great things for a university talk. It makes the audience think, this isn't a generic talk, it really is for us. So make sure you know the room, 
and you do at least a little work to identify with them. What about the other side of it, which is that's the people you're speaking to, but what about the people you're speaking alongside? Your competition. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it is, again, so following the audience analysis, it may be, depending on the situation where you're, depending on the presentation, it may be that you need to look into who your competition is. Now, that competition could be direct competition, Or it may be that, say, you're speaking in a lineup of other speakers at a conference or something. It's not necessarily competition. It's just the other people who are speaking. Mm -hmm. And it's really useful to understand who they are, what they might be talking about, so that you don't have any repetition Mm -hmm. or, or any crossover. So a little bit of research into that can also be useful. I'm also surprised how few presentation, uh, uh, well, conference organizers actually look into that making sure their present the presenters don't cross over so that's yeah right. it's good to do it yourself definitely definitely <laughs> again i think that this part this research part of preparation is probably the most valuable section that you can do mm. because although you know you you can find out a huge amount about the analysis uh, the audience analysis sorry you can find out about the competition the other speakers do you know it may be that you don't actually necessarily use any of that information, Mm. but it's quite empowering to have it, to know who you're up against. I, about 12 years ago now, I was asked to go and, and pitch to a a medium sized bank who are based in Edinburgh and London. And I'd done a little bit of work with their fund management team in Edinburgh. And that was how it got the intro into the London office. And I went down and had a discovery meeting with them to find out what their needs were. And at the end of the meeting, just as I was about to leave, the client said to me, just to let you know, there are two other firms that we're speaking to about this job. And I remember thinking, I need to know who they are. Shall I ask? And then I thought, no, I can't. And then I thought, just do it. Ask, what what have you got to lose? And so I asked him and he told me, mm-hmm. told me who the other two firms were. And I knew in that moment, all of a sudden, I knew my enemy, as it were. I, I you know, know your enemy. I knew exactly in the instant I knew both of those firms. Yeah. And I walked out the door thinking, I know how they'll run a program. I know how they'll fee it. I know who they'll put on the job. Yeah. I know how the whole thing will run. And I bet they haven't asked who they're up against. Mm-hmm. So it gives you confidence about going in there and feeling like you know more than maybe they do. Yeah. So presumably you don't go in there and just start bad-mouthing them all over the place. (laughs) So what's the value in knowing who you're up against then? Well, it's a bit like doing a SWOT analysis. You can sit there and think, um, you know, if I know what kind of team that they have and what their experience is, how do I stack up against them? Or if I know how they're going to price it, how can I stack up against that? Or if I know the what they'll include in a program, how will I stack up against that? And any business can do that with their competitors. It's it's a smart analysis. And I suppose that applies just as well to a big presentation in a conference, doesn't it? If you end up going up there and doing exactly the same as somebody else, you're not unique, you're not remembered, you don't achieve your aim. Yeah. Um, what I do, I run a lot of the p- pitching workshops for EIE, Engage, Invest, Exploit, which is run by Informatics Ventures. 
every, it's a huge investor showcase in May every year in Edinburgh. And there are around 50 or so companies who've all got to do a one minute pitch on stage. That's a lot of one minute pitches on stage. So I always advise everybody, all the companies who take part, how can you make yourself different? How can you stand out? Now, some people have done that through their clothing. Mm -hmm. Some people have done that through the content of the pitch or through how they've delivered it or something like that. But it's just not just thinking about you and your pitch, but thinking about who else is taking part there. A great example of this for me is David Hunter of ShotScope, which is a device to track your golf game. Now, he's a great speaker, but he often adds to that by wearing a pair of plus fours. Now, that's the old-fashioned golfing trousers you tuck into your big socks. And he wears them at conferences and on stage. You know, it fits the industry, golf, and it stands out. It makes him memorable. But if I tried the same technique and came on after him, you know, it could totally lose its impact. Or worse still, it might just look copycat or just plain silly. So you need to know who else is presenting alongside you to make sure that your uniqueness really is unique. Of course, that leads to the question, how do we do that? How do we most easily find out a bit more about the people who we're sharing the stage with? Well, another thing you can think about is who in your network might be able to help you with finding out about the audience or the competition. Now, going back to that example I gave about the the investment bank I pitched to, I had worked with the fund management arm in Edinburgh, so I knew them. And a few days before the pitch, I called up the CEO and asked him if he'd meet me for coffee for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. to just talk about, I, I knew I was going to meet five directors for my pitch. And I said to him, you know, would you mind just having a quick chat about about these five directors and he was absolutely delighted mm. and that was really nice he was really willing to help and i think a lot of people are i think they want people want yeah. to be asked to yeah. help so i caught up with him and i remember sitting down at, at his board table on george street and he just said he sat down and said right who are the five people you're meeting and i gave them all the names and he went through each of them and their teams in more detail and then said and this is what they'll want to hear from you mm. And then he taught me through where he felt my strengths and weaknesses were. He turned my weaknesses into strengths. He absolutely um, sort of quashed any concerns I had about anything. He told me about the sort of questions he thought they would ask. And I really believe to this day that that 20-minute meeting was what really got me that work. Yeah, yeah. And it was a turning point for my business, actually, um, having only moved to Edinburgh a few years before that job became a really big project for me. And I have always thought that the 20-minute meeting I had with him yeah, that was made the thing the that made the difference. Yeah. The, this research is so valuable. You have, you know, when you look on LinkedIn, there is a section that shows how you're connected to other people. Mm. So it may be that when you go in and you type in the client's name, you discover that someone else that you know that knows them, maybe you can give them a call and find out just a snippet about what's going on in their business or what's what they're into, what kind of hobbies they have. Yes. Something like that <laughs> that helps to you yeah. to connect, exactly. The other thing that I've seen go wrong quite often is around the location, around, you know, uh, what's in the room, the equipment, all that kind of thing. What Do you recommend people do a lot of research into that? Can they make a difference there? Definitely. 
I think that uh, these are little things that take very little time that actually you're able to get control of quite quickly with a quick email to the organizer. I've seen so many things go wrong as most people have experienced some kind of technological failure. Uh, you know, the, the TV screen not connecting to the laptop or the volume and speakers not working or something. I, I've actually with, with clients over the years, I've, I've put together a checklist of things that people should either send ahead or talk through with, with an event organizer so that you as a speaker feel like you're in control of the environment that you can think about how the how everything's connected up, what kind of clicker you're going to have to hold. Will it be a handheld microphone or a label one? Is there a lectern? All these things. Because if you can get that into control, then it all leads to more confidence. It leads to you feeling more agile on the day and being able to cope with, with anything that does go wrong. A lot of speakers don't take enough ownership here. They expect the conference organisers to have everything in hand, for the room to be perfect. But if you want to deliver the best possible presentation, take control of everything you can, including the room. Cutting those variables beforehand gives you more room to be agile with your content on the day. Let's tie up this episode by just... I want to hear your thoughts on preparation in general. I come across people all the time that like to fly by the seat of their pants simply because um, things often don't work out as they expect anyway. Do you think that's the right way to go about it or can you expect that no matter what happens preparation is still going to pay off? My heart rate just went up a few beats when you said fly by the seat of your pants. (laughs) That always makes me nervous. (laughs) I think that you know this is all about being an agile speaker And being agile means that you have to put in the preparation beforehand. You have to know your audience. You have to know who else you might be up against. You need all of that information, not only so that everything is tailored towards your audience, but so that it also empowers you and gives you the confidence going into the meeting. I feel that if you go about things by flying by the seat of your pants, I don't think it holds much respect for your audience. You know, they are taking their time to come and listen to you, to be in that room. And and I think it's really important that that you make the most of those moments that you have with them listening to you. So what do you say to people who don't plan, they don't put a lot of work into the preparation because they claim that it takes away the spontaneity, it takes away the creativity, they don't want to be constrained by this plan. What do you say to people like that? I think it is absolutely vital to have a plan in place because actually that's what allows the spontaneity in a sense. It allows you to think on your feet more easily, to be able to react to what your clients are saying. It allows you to listen more carefully to what they're saying. And that, if you think about it from your client's perspective, that gives them a far better experience and it makes a far better impression. I think you can still be natural with a plan. I think it's about having a plan and being able to adapt. And that essentially makes you a more agile speaker. To find out more about Mary Ann's work, visit maryannejohnston.co.uk.